My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, we're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome back. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Uh, you might have had this whole spiel. I had this whole spiel. Yeah. Of, 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 of Twin Pine Mall, and now we're going to One Pine Mall trying to be clever, and I just fucked it up again. Um, I'm not going to go back, though. Sorry, guys. Stu. Stu. Um, we, 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 have, we, have a, we, have a, we have a person that's more intelligent than the both of us, Stu, combined, I'd imagine. It's not hard. It's not hard. Yeah, we've got someone extra on the podcast today. Someone who's equally my age and uh, <laughs> equally as wise we've got paul joining us paul how are you my friend hi hi fellas yeah well, that the first bit's not true <laughs> the second bit about the ages but the intelligent bit is nothing it's, yeah <laughs> the age is right <laughs> paul you wear glasses you wear glasses you're, yeah i do yeah clever. you're yeah. Clever you're i don't know well it depends back in the six back in the 80s when i was a kid wearing glasses was bad because you know, you had the NHS glasses and they were just like tortoiseshell things and from the NHS. But um, now you can pay a fortune and get ones that look good. By the way, they're glasses. The glasses podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Bifocals podcast. To the Bifocals. <laughs> well, apparently, GQ magazine, um, Stu, rated Paul the most attractive man over 38 in glasses. Uh, no, I think there was Quasimodo, John Merritt. <laughs> So, Paul, t- tell us why you're joining us to our Back to the Future podcast. Tell us. Right. So, um, in a nutshell, I've always been I've been interested. Listen to the podcast you guys have produced, and um, I've started to get more and more in- interested in it. And it's I literally wake up in the morning, go to a shower, and I start. Uh, my day listen to the podcast and it pretty much end my day listening to another podcast or if it's a particularly long one like a two-hour one um, I'll end it listening to like I don't know the Die Hard or um, it's Star Wars mid Star Wars at the minute and um, Back to the Future for me has I've always been a massive Michael J Fox fan everything he's done I've seen so things you kind of even get now on um, on on tape or or, or DVD um, yeah. I've I've seen like so. Poison Ivy, Class of 84, um, Family Ties, I've got all the seasons, the outtakes and the, 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 the finale and the film. The film with the Family Ties is really rare. 
yeah. of course when i was i'm um, like you know in 85 i was what 11 years old and yeah. back to the future came out and to this day that trilogy is probably in my mind the best trilogy and back to the future one is just i can see it time and time again and there's always something new there um a couple of things I've noticed when I watched it yesterday that I'll bring up later on, but um, there's always something new and there's that excitement there. And it's just, it's a ride throughout the whole film. That's why. So would you say this is the best trilogy for you personally out there that you can go back to, or is there other ones? This, yeah. I mean, you've got, I know you guys did Die Hard. I know there's this, 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 there were four decent films of Die Hard. The first three for me and Die Hard were great. The fourth is a little bit limp in my mind. Yeah. But in comparison, this is way out on top. Ah, very interesting. Well, that's, where does it stand? Obviously, Star Wars. A lot of people, especially our age, take yeah. the original Star Wars trilogy, <clears throat> um, Star Wars Empire and Jedi, being the, uh, the the films that kind of stand out above everything else. I mean, we'll get to the original. We've done the originals, but we'll get to the new ones as well. Yeah. But you've also got things like Indiana Jones. I know, again, they dropped off, but I take it for you, the Back to the Future is just the pinnacle of the trilogy. It's like the best trilogy you can get where it's unspoiled. It is, and it's just it's just magical and special, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it brings back loads of childhood memories and the anticipation of waiting for it to come out in the cinema and seeing all the billboards and seeing all the, the you know, the Michael J. Fox things, the films that came up in the meantime, you know, in between his, in, in between the films. Like Secret of My Success, Light of Day, and all that. Did you see this um, cinema then? I, 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 for Back to the Future. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I did. I did. I, I remember. I'm pretty sure. I was trying to work out whether this was a false memory or not. Um, I was eating earlier on, so I remember being in the cinema in Swindon. I think it was called the ABC, uh, and it was old. It was an old dance hall. They had three screens, and I kind of remember going in to see Back to the Future, and on the behind you, when you've got the, the ticket officers in front of you, behind you, above you, they had the billboards ready for the next showings, for the, for the films coming out, and I'm sure Teen Wolf was up there. Um, and I know that Teen Wolf was filmed before Back to the Future, but because they, I think they wanted to ride on the success of Back to the Future, they released it afterwards. But I'm sure I remember seeing Team Wolf up there um, when I was there actually going to see Back to the Future. And it was phenomenal. Wow. That is going back some. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. I, I, I remember seeing it at the cinema. And I remember the hype and especially the car. That's what stood out for me, the car. Oh, the car. Seeing the car at Sandown Racecourse when I had a, um, like a, it was kind of like a Comic Con equivalent of for motor vehicles and things like that and props. Yeah, I saw it at Sandown Racecourse, and the car just fascinated me. And I couldn't get my head around the fact that it that's obviously a DeLorean, the stainless steel that had a stainless steel car. And I didn't know, obviously, at that age, what was add-ons to the car, or hmm. when when I someone told me this is a DeLorean car. So to me, all DeLoreans. Had the big buffers at the back and all the yeah. wires on it. It just—it was just fantastic, and I was so intrigued that these cars are out there and have actually been made for the public. That it was yeah. just amazing. But Michael J. Fox just is cool. Look under the dictionary, Michael J. Fox. It's got cool <laughs> and vice versa because he is just fantastic. And that yeah. family ties clip you sent me—it's yeah. just it's incredible. 
it's, it's the, the whole series. So I think good. there were, I think there were there were seven series and a film. So the film was based in London, but there were seven series. I think they started in 1980, um, and I think they finished in 1989. Um, and you can buy you can buy them on iTunes. And my so my best mate at school, he was he was a massive Michael J. Fox fan. He had the he was in the fan the 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 the, uh, the fan club. So he would give me back. This is talking about back in the 80s. So you'd get sent. It wasn't on the internet or anything. You'd get sent photo stats of his latest news and photographs and stuff. So he would send it to me, and he would he would record um, family ties on Sky or, or BSB, whatever it was, B Sky B that, and, and yeah. let me let me watch it on his VHS. And I loved it. And when this was available to me, like thirty years later, on iTunes, I was like, "This is brilliant." I'm not seeing it for thirty years, and every episode was an absolute scream, and brought back so yeah. many memories. Yeah, brilliant, That's absolutely brilliant. And, yeah. and, and what about yourself, James? Where did it come from? Uh, mate, no, I, I, I um. Unlike you, old gits, I was I was four years old when this came out. So, um, yeah, mate, I couldn't I couldn't even go. Um, no, uh, I I remember seeing it around a friend's house for the first time, um, and I was I thought Back to the Future. I thought it was going to be. I initially remember thinking it was going to be more science fiction than it really was because I was like, oh, okay, um, time machine. But then, uh, but then the minute he went back to 1955 and saw his dad, and you know, saw his dad. Now we talk about that in a bit. I, I was like completely hooked. I was like, oh my god, it's crazy. This is so cool. That was my first memory of it. Wasn't in the cinema though because I was I was four guys. <laughs> oh bless you, bless you. I mean, I know obviously wrestling is your background; it's your thing. So I, I didn't know what your approach would be with regards to this, but it sounds like you're pretty okay with it. <laughs> yeah 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 um anyway uh, wrestling school indeed indeed um yes yeah, so, uh, again just before we get into this podcast what your wrestling name was the stallion <laughs> <laughs> i never get bored of it <laughs> thanks thanks you. thanks <laughs> oh dear so um uh, right, so but, um, we're, we're still all here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just oh, good. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> sure. Oh, sorry, <laughs> mate. Yeah. Mate, I, I I used to have a six pack. Um, no, I, I mean, that's a, that's another lie, Paul. I'm sorry. That's another <laughs> lie. Um, so, yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, back, I mean, Back to the Future. I, I, I guess before we initially get into get into get into the storyline, I mean, I mean, let's talk about the casting because initially, um, obviously, Paul, you're saying you're a massive Michael J. Fox fan. I love, mm. I love him too. He, he's pretty much golden. He, you know, anything he touches is yeah. turns to gold in terms of for me in terms of quality. And around that time, obviously, um, I think Eric Stoltz might might be a bit might be a bit sad to hear that. Um, bear in mind, I think he was he was first cast, wasn't he? But it was um, the fact that he didn't really work. But there's still scenes of him in the film, isn't there? I think. So there was. I don't know about scenes of him in the film. I've seen like clips of that, but I know from what I've read, um, because the Family Ties filming was quite grueling. That they they'd originally asked Michael J. Fox to come in, uh... um, and he said he he couldn't do it because he was. Filming, um, I think was it Universal stage at, at, uh, at was it Universal? Par- no, Paramount. He was filming back uh, probably ties at Paramount, and um, so they cast Eric Stoltz. Uh, it didn't quite work for Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis, so they went back to Michael J. Fox and they worked out a deal where he could film. This is where he was. Obviously, he was very young back in those days, and I've seen interviews with him. Where he talks about this. So he was, he would film. 
family times during the day. They're like a, mm-hmm. a 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. filming. Um, he'd have a couple of hours break and then he'd go to the studios and he would film Back to the Future during the night. Oh my gosh. Um, and then he'd have like an hour's sleep and then his PA would get him up to, to start again. So it was just a, for, for that period, it was grueling because it was constant filming like 24 hours a day almost. And it worked. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that must have been, yeah, yeah that must have been, he must have been destroyed. Um, good makeup. He never had baggy eyes. Never <laughs> um, had baggy eyes. But he kept the same watch. Notice, Family Ties and Back to the Future has exactly the same uh, oh, wow. Casio CA50 calculator watch. Oh, those were all the rage. Even when I went to school. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I've got to ask you two though, right? I know we're going to get into this more probably next time when we when we when we, when we watch the second one though. In terms of casting, we've got obviously um, his girlfriend, Marty Marty's Marty's girlfriend play uh, Lair uh, Thompson um, or Lorraine Baines Lorraine Lorraine Baines played by Lair Thompson. Who did it better, her or Elizabeth Shue? Uh, wasn't Leah Thompson his mum? Yeah, oh, Leah Thompson was the mum. Ah, sorry, I'm a dick. Who was it? Oh, it was no, it was. It was, it was Jennifer. Je- that's it. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Oh. Who did it better? The first one. <laughs> really? Yeah. What was it? What was the name again? Um, first first you? It's played Jennifer. Jennifer Parker. Yeah. 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 That was the name of obviously the character played by Claudia Wells. Yeah, that's it. Really well. Yeah, but it was weird because having looked on for the build-up for this podcast, obviously the internet and different forums and things like that, and people do make a big deal out of this issue about um, Shoe or uh, Claudia Wells. Mm. And to be honest, their parts are so small, and I think it doesn't make a difference. I like, and I think it's because a lot of the time it's what you're used to. It's like the James Bond kind of Sean Connery. What you first come to to see and I like Claudia Wells I mean her part's really small but yeah. again Elizabeth Shue her part's really small and pretty insignificant she she's in it for a speaking part in the second one which we'll talk about obviously next week then she faints and then she's not really in it and again it is more um the Lorraine character the Leah Thompson character more than Elizabeth Shue isn't it yeah mm. yeah so for me I don't mind right. really I think I think it's yeah it's just it doesn't matter either way does it there was reasons why she could why um, Claudia Wells couldn't be in, couldn't be in number two but it was um, you're right Stu it's irrelevant really it's just for continuity that you look at look at number two and it's a different person in it so yeah it's, you're right yeah funny enough, my mother Harper Shell she was saying that they refilmed the end of the first one at the beginning of the second one didn't they. With obviously Elizabeth Shue in, um, yeah. in in the car, yeah, that was a complete reshoot rather than yeah. any, yeah, okay. So somebody actually has, I'm sorry, sorry, wait, so someone actually has had on YouTube put the two together, so oh, you wow. can watch the scene to uh, the, the first and second reshoot, and you can actually watch the t- to, to see what the differences are, just for sort of, yeah. That's oh, pretty wow. cool. I like that. That, that. I'll have my nerd moment then after we finish recording that. Because yeah, I like that. Um, so I mean, I mean, we start. The film starts after after obviously all the logos, and when you go through, which we end up being what is a quite messy room, hall, house. For obviously, we end up. You know, we know Doctor Emmett Brown. There are so many clues as to what's going to happen later, and 
Um, you know, initially, obviously, with the news story, um, Dr. Emmett Brown, the fact that he, uh, you know, lost all his money, the fact that the plutonium was taken, and things like that, to, to what's going to happen. And I, and I thought, even even for the 80s film at the time, we don't have really a massive lengthy credit sequence like, like you do, for example, like Superman or things like that. But I thought it was really, really clever. It was going through the shots. And it, and it, and it seemed like quite a while but in a good way until we even saw Marty McFly enter the room. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, you don't even see his face until he's uh, collapsed underneath that bookshelf. Um, so you see him for about two minutes and then you don't realise who it is until he's collapsed and he's, he um, takes his sunglasses off and says, oh, wow, rock and roll. So, yeah, he's in there for a couple of minutes and you no idea who it is. No. Um, what I love is, and it so, so sums up the 80s, that... He walks in there. You see his white and red Air Force Ones, and he's <clears throat> he's got his mirrored glasses. He's got a plectrum, and you see him clicking all the dials. And back in the eighties, I mean, Paul will know about this as well. You had the like the the mix, uh, the stacked kind of uh, MIDI system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more buttons on there, the better it was. It didn't make a difference <laughs> if it did anything or not. But the yeah, more shortness cool. they had, and the trebles and basses and everything, and the way he walks into the room. Flicking switch after switch, turning everything up to the max. Yeah, it was eighties. If you had a stack system with three lots of bases on there, where it's all trebles and everything, you were the nuts. And it was just so so good. It summed up the eighties for me. That did. Did you know somebody had actually carried out an experiment? They put a dummy in the place of Michael J. Fox. Right, so they, they recreated the room. Yeah. Um, and they looked at the, the the level of volume he was un- trying to achieve from the from the, the speaker and the and the uh, the amps. Put a dummy in there and and some sensors on the dummy, and basically it would it would completely annihilate your insides. He'd have been dead <laughs> with that level of sound. <laughs> Down roll credits. Um, yeah. <laughs> never never would have had a film. Um. So 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 it's a messy apartment. Obviously, obviously he. Uh, Blasts it. It goes loud. He falls back. As you say, Paul, this is the first time the first time we see him. Whoa! Straight away, you know, it's Michael J. Fox. Um, mm. He looks cool with the glasses. Uh, you know, I, 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 I couldn't pull that off. I could never pull it off, especially now oh, as a near forty middle-aged man. But and and um and then obviously that's when um Doc Brown calls. He, he, the, the phone rings, doesn't he? He answers the phone, and then Doc Doc talks about something. Um, you know, you know, you know. Basically, he's done it. Uh, meet me at one o'clock at night. We we're not really too sure what it is. I mean, you've got an idea in the title, but you're not too sure on on on, on first viewing. So yeah. Um, and then sorry, you were saying? No, just saying it's um. The the music to this, I think, all the way through, and I was listening to this um, today just before the podcast, and um, the the bit where he's kind of waiting to uh, to get back to nineteen eighty five, and you've got the music playing, and you've got the lightning, and you've got the thunder, mm. and just I kind of thought, well, who does the music? Who does the score to the film? And it's Alan Silvestri, and yeah. I think personally, for me, the score to this film. Um, and he wrote it and he conducted it. It's just as good as John Williams' Star Wars and Indiana Jones. It's yeah. so memorable. When you hear it, it's like if you hear the opening to Star Wars, you know what film it is, and Indiana Jones, or in Superman as well. And this one, when you just hear that opening tune, you know it's Back to the Future. And I think the score just is so, so important to this film that they yeah. got this score right. It's brilliant. Yeah. 
yeah. not just the score, but the minute you hear that ding, 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 on the radio, yeah, you know, for, for the power of love, the second you hear that, you know, in my mind, I'm on a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> it punches in, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it gets you buzzing. It really does. It makes you want to yeah, watch yeah. it. Speaking about it. I know, I know, and and the, yeah, and the way it just starts, you know, oh, I'm going to be late to school, and it, and it's yeah. trip to school, and obviously, you know, I don't think any of us would recommend you would go on a skateboard without a helmet <laughs> or oboe pads or knee pads, and and obviously try that. Um, even milk floats don't don't try it on; it would go badly wrong, um, I'd imagine. But yeah, and it's the scores, fan, the scores is you said to you is fantastic. The soundtrack, yes, it's of the '80s, but it is a very '80s film. Um, when you look at its clothes and stuff, obviously, it goes back to the '50s, so it relies on that nostalgia of the 80s and then going back into the 50s with the 50s music. But, and I think the score itself, when you take away, you know, not obviously um, the songs, but the score is almost another character in 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 the film. Um, mm. And it really helps build up the tension to the end, to the beginning, during it. You know, when you when you have that little, I don't know what, I don't know how you'd call it, um, the uh, little bells, or whatever. We know when he's looking at the photo. I, I'm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, when Doc Brown wakes up at the end when he's got the bulletproof vest on, his oh. eyes go, and as his eyes go, that goes... Oh, yeah, I know, and I love yeah, that yeah, sound. Yeah. I want that to be my text message sound. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So, we, we got we got, power, we got Power of Love, one of the best songs in the game, one of the best songs, I, th- I think, in an 80s film, full stop, surely. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And this film, as you said earlier, you were right, there's so much foreshadow in this film. It is unbelievable. And when you watch it again and again and again, and you pick things up like Save the Clock Tower and Mayor Goldie Wilson, mm. and just different things, and of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, mm. it's all these little things that come into play later on. There is just so much, but it's not a case of it makes the film predictable because the film is just so enjoyable. But I was surprised, obviously, watching it kind of uh, for critique purposes and in, rather than. Uh, sole enjoyment of just how much foreshadow is in this. This is the first time I've actually watched a film properly to, without looking at it from the enjoyment factor to, to 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 critique it. So I've listened to your podcast before and I was trying to look at the way you you, you view a film and it's a, it's new to me. So I've looked at it from a different angle and even picking up things like you say the foreshadow at the beginning. You've got that I told you the other day, Stu, that the clock yeah. at the beginning. So you you got that the first the opening scene is going through his room and just panning across a load of clocks and you've got a clock with an old man with a hat with long hair hanging from the minute hand. Oh, and wow. I didn't even I've notice never, that. I never noticed that until this week when I've, when I've watched it with a view to do this. And there yeah. were so many things in there. You think that's, yeah. It, it, yeah, it all comes to play later on, but it's all in your head. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's so clever. It is. It's it's amazing that they think of this, and I think, as you're saying, Paul, um, you can see this film for probably the hundred and third time, and there's a good chance you'll still see something new or see something yeah. in a different way that you hadn't noticed before, which is really good. Does anybody think that Michael J. Fox is punching with Jennifer at all? See, uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's really difficult because he come because when you look at it, he's his only friend appears to be. A professor who's <laughs> way beyond his years, who you'd question the relationship now. <laughs> 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 he 
he's got because you never he's kind of asexual, isn't he? The doc, he he never got yeah. well, he's until three, yeah, <laughs> and he's it's really really weird. So, yeah, you watch it and you think, well, because he's got no other friends, all his family, as you can see, we'll discuss later, are just layabout losers. He's got a stunning girlfriend, Jennifer, and just going purely, not on Michael J. Fox being really cool or family yeah. type, any previous, he's probably punching way above his weight with Jennifer, who is stunningly beautiful. Well, yeah, don't forget, he's a king guitarist, and she sees him on stage, and, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously very good at what he does, and he's a really good skateboarder. Um, so it might be that she likes him because he's in a, he's in a band, uh, what they call the knuckleheads or something, I can't remember what they're called now. He's in a band and he's a good skateboarder. So it might be that, 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 that she sees in him. Um, yeah. Or it could be the fact that he's play, he plays a very good person who's kind of like stumbles around and falls about a lot. I don't know, but... Um, yeah. yeah, really weird, really weird. But I digress. I don't, uh, is his band better than the Wild Stallions? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or is he top? <laughs> well, I, I mean, well, talking about that, um, um, just, just, just a quick side note. Um, I've seen the teaser of the new Ben and Ted. Looks okay. Oh, I'm really worried. Really, I worried. am worried. <laughs> yeah. It looks. I mean, to, to the extent it looks okay. When I say looks okay, at the moment they haven't messed it up. If that makes any sense, you know. Um, I guess yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, I'm. I am. I am slightly concerned. But there we go. Um, I see Clint Reeves. I see him killing someone with a pencil, and that is all I see. I don't see anything else at the moment. So, well, unless uh, he does that, I'm not interested. Oh, that's not too bad. That's not. Too, oh, there you go, Keanu Reeves. Um. Uh. So, <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Um. Money McFly. He ends up going to school, and that's obviously when we first meet. Um. Um. Stu's uh, crush. Leah Thompson. No, fuck! I keep fucking saying Leah Thompson. I mean, um, <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, um, Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um, Claudia Wells, uh, a.k.a. Jennifer Parker. It's because I've got the cast in front of me. Because, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shit at remembering names. Um, so, um, anyway, um, what do you think about it, Aaron and John? Sorry, done it again. No, never mind. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so sorry. We've got, so we've got Lorraine. Um, the first time we see, and then, and then we, we obviously see uh, the guy from Top Gun. Yeah, James Tolkien, Mr. Strickland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a very good character. As an age at all, always plays the same character, but he plays it really well. So why would you get anyone else? He's, he's absolutely. Yeah. I know. I mean, he's, he's played it. He played it in, uh, obviously, Top Gun. Played the same character in Master of the Universe as well, didn't he? It's pretty, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's pretty much the same character. Did that guy ever have hair? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, he's kind of got, I think when we go back to the 50s, he's kind of got hair at the side. But I, but I don't think he's based completely bald in the modern in the eighties, isn't he? Um, what, you know, in the in the film in fifty five, he's kind of got hair at the side. Like, yeah, yeah. So but that's what he did with Doc later on, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I think in number two that he said he had kind of face rejuvenation, so it saved them having to put the makeup on all the time. Oh god, yeah, yeah that'd that been a mission. True, yeah. And and talking about it, I mean, when we see Doc for the first time. Um, I do think the still today, two thousand and twenty, that makeup still holds up. You don't look at it and think that is bad makeup. That is a, you know, it's and I think that's a testament to obviously the the, the makeup people. I know I know number two goes even more extreme, and they're, they're, I think at the time they were keeping it a secret. But but just looking at Doc, I thought the makeup was brilliant. Even now, I I, I looked at it. 
more critically than I probably would have done. I, th- I still think it definitely holds up. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. Even now, when you see him on uh, YouTube and things like that, when they uh, he does interviews about it, it still ages so so well. I mean, if they did it again, uh, then he could still just kind of uh, go back into playing the same character. He just, he, he, I don't know what he does to himself, but he ages extremely well. He does, he does. Um, so he's at school and he gets another tardy slip. Um, now I didn't know that. Post-it notes where you use tidy slips. Uh, that looks like what he's using, is it? Or it looks like it, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I know what tidy slip actually stands for as well. I don't know what you guys do. Oh, go for it, go for it, go for it, Paul. Well, so the, the, the French word for late is retard, and you take the re out of it, and you got tard. So oh. The French word for take is is effectively retard. R e t a r d. So if you take the RE out, you just lay being lazy. You just call it a tardy slip. Late Blimey, slip. there you go. We, we brought brains and education onto the podcast. Wow. I think, but I could be wrong. But that's 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 what makes sense to me, anyway. Mate, mate, I tell you what. Yeah, I found you very attractive when you say when you talk French. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I know. I've been James a retard by now, and that'll just be as far as it goes. But you well, got educated. Thank you for that. That that explains why Stu keeps sending me post-its in the post then, doesn't it? But there we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So so he gets a tardy strip and then he basically says, oh, no, you're banned, you know, um, you know, uh, McFly, you're a slacker. You're a slacker, he says. And he basically uh, intimates that his ban is not really going to get through. And then and then we shoot to obviously the band. um, And he's basically playing an audio only version of The Power of Love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but the very, great very... thing about it is, yeah, that um, Huey Lewis is, is carrying out the audition. Oh yes, yeah. of course he is. Yes, yeah. So, and the, the the ironic thing about it is, actually, just very quickly going back to um, to Strickland, don't you think that that could quite easily be Donald Pleasance's brother? Yes, very much. <laughs> they look so similar. I'm looking at them on um, on the IMDb. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, so you've got Huey Lewis, who says, I'm sorry, guys, you're just too darn loud. And ironically, I think he had one of the loudest, voice, one of the loudest voices in, in the pop of the 80s. Oh, really? Well, I think, well, he certainly sounds it, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Um, well, Huey Lewis clearly doesn't like his own song, though, Paul. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah, yeah. for a long, long, long time that Michael J. Fox actually did singing like, about Johnny B. Good. Yeah. Who, who does it? Who does it then? No, uh, Mark Campbell did Michael J. <clears throat> singing. Ah. Uh, he's credited as Marty McFly. Um, yeah. And it's he was in a band called um, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. So, uh, and he did the singing for Johnny B. Good, which he does so well because up until probably yesterday, I was under the impression that it was uh, Michael J. Fox. So I've I've got all the the soundtracks and the different versions of the the, the, the score and that they they bought out um, from iTunes, and like you say, it's Michael. It's um, it says Marty McFly, and I've been really hoping there's been a there would be like a version in there that Michael J. Fox actually sings, but yeah. he doesn't, and it's but he mimes it so well, it's just it's to the T, isn't it, on the screen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And I think, and I think everyone enjoys it until he uh, 
Van Halen, Van Halen's the crap out of it at the end, really. But um, up, yeah. To, yeah, up until that point, everyone's everyone's really enjoyed. It. And like, 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 obviously, when I first watched it, and it wasn't that long ago when I realised it obviously was not him. Um, it was a few years ago, though, Stu. So I, I, I beat you to it. Um, <laughs> you, you stayed, you stayed gullible almost to the end, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but it's all right. It's all right. I'm holding one of your post-its, so, so we're even now. Um, but, but yeah, so um, he's obviously doesn't make it, and then obviously we see um, when we have the you know the save the clock tower scene when he I think when he's outside speaking to um, speaking not to Leah Thompson or Lorraine Baines, uh, speaking to his girlfriend Jennifer, played by Claudia Wells. Um, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I've got a nosebleed now. That will, that will go a bit too much. But yes, Claudia Wells, um, and um, they obviously. Save the clock tower. She gives him the flyer, which is a massive thing later on. Because without that flyer, we he wouldn't be he wouldn't be going back, would he? Mm. No, it's really good. I mean, she shoves the the poster right in his face, so he's got no choice but to take it. But thank God he didn't actually throw that bit of paper away, and that she wrote a number down. Otherwise, he'd be completely screwed and stuck in 1955. But again, it's foreshadowing. It's it's nicely done. It's not too much in your face. And uh, yeah, it kind of sets up the next scene really well. Hmm. It does, it does. And do you think when she writes down "I love you," I assume that was the first time she said it to him? Am I wrong? Uh, never really thought about this. It's because the know. reaction he gives—he's kind of like really happy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks. Yeah, he does look really pretty chuffed with it, doesn't he? But um, I don't know. I'd never really thought about that. I mean, you're quite a romantic, so that's quite a nice thing to say, James. I, I'm a romantic with a fat belly and a tiny dick. You can't get any better, can you? Um, <laughs> but yeah. You can in cards, mate. Yeah, for me, for me, yes. Yes, I think it's the first time. I'm going with the first time. Oh, bless your bloody heart. I know. And then her dad pulls up and is like, Oi. oh, interesting one. I, I, need, I wanted to ask Paul this. I read, I remember reading somewhere, but I couldn't find it. I'm sure it's in the trivia, that obviously yeah. the town of Hill Valley... Is that the Gremlin set? Crikey. I'd have to watch Gremlins again to see it. I don't know. That's a good question. Because Gremlins is... Well, when, you looked at that, when you looked at the square where Gremlins is set, it looked really similar. Mm. Or where the Back to the Future... I forgot what, I forgot what film came first. But I'm, I'm sure I remember reading, but I can't find it now. That, it is. Um, it's the exactly the same one. And they, they kept that. And interestingly enough, um, they actually used that same scene or the same set for Escape from Los Angeles with Snake Pliskin. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, really? so they, they kept it. And it was being filmed around about the same time. Um, but they have kept the set. So, because obviously they keep going back to it in the different films. And if you look at Escape to LA, they change, obviously, they change a hell of a lot of it. But they actually do use, do use the Hill Valley um, Town Centre. Uh, okay. Oh, there you go. I, 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 did, I did read it then. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was not just a dream. Um, I'll tell there you is, what. there is actually. Sorry, there's just looking at, on the internet now. There are they're showing scenes from, and it's looking at yeah, it's Gremlin Cinema. The Gremlin Cinema is the you know when he comes back to the at the end of Back to the Future one, and he drives into the that building, and the and Rag goes, Rag goes, crazy drunk driver. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That I'm looking at that now. And that is in the Gremlin set. So yes, it's all there. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. Um, oh, you, you, uh, that, that's my eureka moment. Um, oh, that's brilliant. So, set on the Gremlin set. So he, they say goodbye, and then, and then obviously he he comes home, and that's the first time we see, as Stu said, his very successful parents and family. 
Mm. Yeah, and you kind of learn quite a lot. I mean, it's it's really weird because you actually meet, and um, I didn't realise again until I watched it here because you, when you know what's going to happen, you watch it kind of lazy as you you listen to it more than actually watch it. And I didn't realise um, Jimmy Olsen from Superman is his uh, his brother sitting at the dinner table. Yeah, realised that was him. Yeah, the photographer. Yeah, yeah. 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 I thought, wow, that's really good. But yeah, so you quickly get to learn. Um, that he wants to go to the lake, um, but his car's been smashed up. And yes. So you're introduced to um, his dad, George, who's a complete loser. He gets walked all over by everyone in life. Uh, and Biff comes in. And it's really funny when he talks about a blind spot in the car. Oh, mate, that's brilliant. And, yeah, that he's built his beer all over him and that you're going to pay <laughs> for it. And again, this is really good foreshadowing for what happens later. And it's exactly the same dialogue. Uh, and I think it's really, really good. But you kind of, because you're enjoying it, and when you pick it up a second time, like in the cafeteria, uh, in the cafe, that you kind of like, it's a good feeling. It's quite a happy moment that it's as if you've discovered this and no one else has when you realise mm-hmm. that, wow, they said this already. But yeah, yeah. it's really, really good. And the, the mum as well. Who's the mum, James? Uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, no, um, Leah Thompson, um, is Lorraine Baines, yeah, and she's a completely different character. The one with to actually discover that she was like, which is what I really, really like that twist mm. as well. Yeah, I like but, it. It's, it's classic parents as well, saying one thing, but they did another, obviously, in their youth, isn't it? Um, you, you know, I know she never smoked, I never drank, I never went out with a boy, I never, I never chased boys, etc. Park car with a boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I like it. I mean, I mean, they're all, they're all sitting down. Your uncle Joe, or whatever. His uncle Joe um, didn't, you know, your uncle didn't get out. Didn't make bail again. Here's here's the cake. It's a it's a it's a pretty poor cake, really. Good icing skills, but in terms of, in terms of the cake value, not great. Good icing's good. Cake is not great. I'm just saying. Did you spot the shameless um, the shameless uh, advertising in there? Because earlier on, earlier on, when you see him, he's getting out of bed. He's got the um, there's a massive close-up of the of the Pepsi can, yes. And then when they, when when they're sat down and they say, "Oh, your Uncle Joey didn't make bail again," there's I think there's a Pepsi and a Bud Light beer as well. Oh really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few shameless plugs in this, isn't it? And and, and even going forward into I think number two. Um, no, definitely. And uh, because even 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 when he goes to the store, isn't it? Where he asks for like a Pepsi free or a tab yeah. as well and stuff like that. Um, which which is makes for quite an amusing moment. So. I mean, I mean, he's there. They're, they're sitting around there. It's not really family time properly. Everyone's kind of in a rush, um, and um, um, yeah. Uh, the, obviously, mum goes. Um, his brother is, is 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 he's working at a fast food restaurant, isn't he, Billy Olson? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, the Daily Planet wasn't very kind to him. Um, so yeah, he's he's working there. His dad's, as we know, complete loser. Um, I do love his laugh. I, whenever he laughs in this, I cannot help. Yeah, I cannot yeah. Help. it's so. I don't know. Yeah, it's like the nerdiest laugh in the world. And and the mum's going, yeah. oh yeah. And then we fell in love. And she's telling the story, and he's just not freaking interested at all. He's just laughing at the black and white TV show, which is a rerun. And, and obviously, once again, another bit of foreshadowing. There's so much. I mean, we could almost do a podcast and just all the, all, you know, all the foreshadowing um, from from you know um, the first twenty minutes. But um, and then. He wakes up. He goes to sleep, doesn't he? Then he wakes up. Obviously, the alarm wakes up at twelve fifty-eight, um, and it, he's in bed. Um, and he goes to see Doc. Yes, at Twin Pines, and 
it's a really, really exciting scene. And again, it's it's not, I don't find, I don't know what you guys think, I don't think it's dated uh, with regards to the use of the Libyans. I don't know what your points of view are. I know it does put a date on it, but I don't it's just a ter- It's a terrorist group that he's nixed some plutonium from, so you, I don't think, yeah, you're right, you can't really date it. It's just it's a terrorist group that's, that he's just nixed some... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, you mentioned when he's on the, the, the news on the TV when they're scanning with the clocks at yeah. the start that plutonium has been stolen. So, again, it's more foreshadowing that does tie in to the yeah. storyline really neatly. Um, and again, the introduction of the DeLorean coming out the back of the like the van with the smoke and the headlights. And it, it's just fantastic. It is done yeah. so, so well. And it just got me hooked on this film when I was younger. And even now, the DeLorean is just... I mean, the DeLorean wrote a letter um, to um, Zemeckis after this, thanking him for bringing the like, attention, positive attention to the DeLorean um, after it flopped. I mean, it's just iconic now, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks to this yeah, I mean, did, they flopped, didn't they? The car. I think they were really heavy, and they rusted easily, especially the first mm. generation. I think. Sorry, sorry, Paul, you were saying? No, I was going to say, if I had the money, I'd buy one. I, I've seen, I've seen them come and go on eBay, all done up like a, like a Back to the Future, you know, vehicle. And yeah, if I had like a spare sixty k sitting around, I'd have one um, in the garage, all done up, because they just, oh, they're just lovely looking cars, aren't they? Just it, oh, it's, Iconic, and yeah. you'd you'd feel apart from I maybe a couple of foot taller than Michael J. Fox, but you'd feel like you know Michael J. Fox in the car yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, you would. I mean, and I just said, I mean, I mean, it's one of the best reveals. You, you know, I think it make a top ten of best reveals in the film. The way it's treated, like you got all the smoke coming out, the engine starts and obviously rolls back, and yeah. and and the, the car itself, without all the bits on, looked for the eighties. I think very futuristic, especially with the way the the windows open up. And then once again, you got the score and the music as well. Da, da, you know, you, you know, you know, the, the slow, the slow rift as it's coming down. And what I like, what I love about the DeLorean, and I don't. They, I'm sure they added it in. Is the engine noise it makes? That I don't. I, I'm yeah. very sure it doesn't make that noise when it I'm, sounds like a V12. But I don't think it's a V12. It's it sounds like throaty and mm. doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds a diesel car, doesn't it? It's really burbly and blah 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 blah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah and then obviously, I mean, were, they diesel, were they diesel cars or were they just petrol cars? I they were petrol. I think you still have like a five liter engine in it, but. Um, yeah, but I, they obviously made it. Well, I say obviously. I, I'm guessing they made it sound throatier than it actually was. Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, it definitely. I mean, I mean, they gave it like a. For, for me, it always sounds slightly futuristic. I know it's probably not in the grand scheme of things in 2020. Um, and then obviously he puts Einstein the dog in there. Nice yeah. name for a minute difference, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Then, then he basically because he he drives it on, and you're still not sure what's really going on, especially the first time you've watched it. Um, and then it's almost like this guy, this crazy old man's going to kill us. You know what I mean? The, the way he like just, just remotes the car, um, throws it around. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. He does. Doesn't. And, and then obviously, you know, eighty. I love the line when he's, you know, when this baby hits eighty-eight miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Um, mm. One of the best lines in the film. And it, obviously, the car disappears, leaves loads of fire. We do have that one visual effect shot that always makes me laugh now. Um, but it doesn't take anything away from the film. You know, the um, with the fire goes goes right through them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so bad, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, it doesn't take away from for me. It actually adds to the charm of the film now. But yeah, um, it's it's not it's not the best of it. But there we go. And then, then they talk, 
and he's talking about the thing, and you kind of forget. I can, I, I always forget. Oh yeah, it, it's going to turn up in a minute until the alarm goes. I completely forget about that again. I did. Yeah. Technically, I mean, um, yeah. So going back to the, the, the fire scene underneath their shoes, his Nike Air Force Ones should have melted. Yes. They were right beneath his feet, weren't they? And my favourite line in that bit was. You could almost see Michael J. Fox, well, the, the character Martin McFly's disdain for the for the DeLorean by saying, "You build a time machine out of a DeLorean?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way the way he's going, DeLorean. <laughs> His so pitch, right. yeah. <laughs> great, so it's a great cool. line. <clears throat> uh, mate, uh, I know, I know. I mean, that's a kid. I don't know what what the, what the equivalent would be today. Maybe a smart car. I don't know, but Skoda. I mean, Skoda. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you put a time machine out of Robin Reliant. Um, yeah, it wouldn't get to 88 miles per hour, would it? Let's be honest. No, no, no the wheel will fall off, <laughs> I'd imagine. But um, and then and then a minute later, obviously comes back. Um, you know, you got the that, that future sound effect. I love the way um you see it come back with the like the, the kind of electric explosions. Um, yeah, and it just slides. And then, as it stays still, it, it it gets really cold. I mean, I remember watching it the first time when when Doc touches it. He goes, "Oh!" And you're like, "Oh my god, is he okay?" I remember thinking as a kid, and it's like, "Oh, it's really cold." And he opens it, and obviously Einstein's still in there, and he shows, "Look, uh, you know, one minute," and he and he goes one minute into the future. But it's really clever the way they're standing there, and suddenly Doc checks his watch and realizes a minute's up, and he pushes Michael J. Fox out of the way. Yes. The way yeah. DeLorean just comes out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. just skids in front of him and stops. And it's quite eerie the way it stops. There's no music. And you're mm. kind of waiting for, is Einstein alive? Is is the car broken? Or is someone else in the car? And it's really, really good. And it's just yeah. so clever. And the, the special effects still are really good uh, when it just comes out of nowhere. And they I mean, leave that silence. There's a, a big gap of silence. Yeah, as they approach the it, and the dot so, looks at it, it kind of like, as if it's like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, that really adds the tension as well. Um, I mean, bear in mind, this is um, I mean, this is a PG film, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and then basically, uh, then it, yeah, Einstein, Einstein's okay, and then and then Doc's obviously talking about it, and uh, you know, and then that's when he basically said this thing's needs, um, you know, he he needs uh, it's electric, but it, he needs. Um, 1.21 gigawatts, obviously, and you, to do that, you obviously need plutonium, apparently. And then that's the oh my god, that's the plutonium, you know. And he explains how how he stole it um, from a bunch uh, a bunch of um, terrorists, mm. and he gave them basically uh, uh, well, he made a bomb out of pinball parts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and then um, and I like the, I like the fact that they're, they're obviously both in their hazard suits. Put it put it the plutonium in. Um, and it slides. I love, I love that. I love the noise or whatever. How it goes, you know, when it slides in to the uh, to the uh, that always satisfies me somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. It could it could be a sexual thing. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really I really like that noise. So. <laughs> um, and then uh, Doc goes, "Oh my God, they found me!" And then you know the the, the tone changes to like an almost military march um, kind of beat you've got as obviously uh, as obviously a um, a camper van turns up essentially. <laughs> yeah, and they've got their RPG and they're shooting, and yeah, the film really kind of speeds up, doesn't it? But before then, he talks about the flux capacitor where he ah, of course, brings back memories where he fell off the, again. Foreshadow, foreshadow. Yeah. Mr. Peabody's farm, there used to be pine trees, and he fell off the toilet, and he this way can't with the idea of the flux capacitor, and and, it, and it's really, really good, and it's quite interesting, and, and 
you don't realise that time is foreshadow of what you're going to get later on. But it's great because it slots in so nicely because the next scene he gets chased by the Libyans and he does kick it up to 88 miles an hour and, and he goes back to 1955 because that's where Doc wants to go because he obviously that's his era with where um, everything began and uh, he comes back onto Mr. Pe old Peabody's farm which is really, really good. It just slots in so neatly. You know where he is because you've just been told by Doc. Yeah. So it, it's just brilliant. It's so cleverly written. But he he tapped that he tapped the date in and the time in didn't he, he tapped it in yeah. and went, that and he, he kind of like instantly then oh I know why I put that in because that's when I came up with the idea of the flux capacitor yeah so brought him right at the point where he, he came up with that idea yeah, yeah. the day hit his head yeah yeah and, yeah it's convenient but it's so cleverly written it's not like oh god that's handy it's just mm. it's done so well no no it never feels cliche or tropey like some films do and or forced you know like um like, like some films do it almost it just seems to be it seems to have this really natural flow and i'd imagine that's 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 started obviously with i think a really really good script and obviously then you've got like a really good really good director and obviously um Obviously, to do that and, and, and edit the and edit, edit the shots, it flows really well. Um, doesn't flow as much as uh, you know. Doesn't flow well. Uh, Michael J. Fox is driving is is great because obviously he parked in a barn, doesn't he, with, with, with a load, load of cows. But I really like that scene when obviously uh, Farmer Peabody <laughs> comes out with his son and the rest of his family that obviously woke them all up. Um, but his son's conveniently come out with the magazine with his, with his little comic. Yes. It shows shows his family that that that's him. It's, it's an alien, and oh. then his his dad sort of like shouts some. I don't know what he shouts like. You killed a can. I don't know what that means, but just <laughs> no, as he, no. <laughs> he manages to barge out of the of the, of the barn. Oh yeah, it was a brilliant shot. It was almost yeah, it was it was almost like a shot for shot when you looked at the uh, comic. Uh, the bit I, yeah. the, the bit I like is when Martin went fly. He ends up getting out of the barn, and obviously yeah. the farmer's gone back to get his gun. And his son goes, "Look, he's already taken. He's already taken human form." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Michael G. Fox does what he does very well, and, and that is like fall about, and he's great at falling, and oh. he just literally just falls back on his ass in the back into the barn. Oh, no, but but it's but, but you can see him doing it quite. Yeah, I, 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 anyone can do. With that but yeah the way he does it, it, it is so natural um yeah and it and it, and it doesn't look for us and obviously he, he goes is that what part does he destroy does he destroy the pine the pine tree i'm trying to think because it was twin pine mall really wasn't it you know you uh, know twin pine yeah it was twin pine yeah. mall when he comes back it's pine mall it's not it's not two pines anymore. we you know when he comes back to the 80s again oh is it really i didn't even yeah. know i didn't know that no when he when he when he leaves it's Twin Pine Mall, and when he comes back, I think it's Pine Mall, ah. because he destroys oh, one of the pines. Okay, I'll have to look at that again, because I don't remember him, he wouldn't have He wouldn't have taken a tree out, would he? Cause... No, but I'm, no, no, I'm wondering, yeah, yeah, because because Doc Brown says uh, Peabody, he's obsessed, he had this obsession with growing mm. pines for business. Um, yeah. Didn't he? And it's I called that. Twin Pine Mall. Uh, yeah, I've peaked now, Stu. I'm done. Um, <laughs> but, but but yeah, and then when he comes back, it's Pine Mall or Lone Pine Mall. But it's, oh, it, that, it's yeah, that'll be on the internet somewhere, won't it? It will, it will. Um, <laughs> so and and then obviously he hides the car, and ironically he hides the car on the uh, what is to be going to be the state where he lives eventually. Where well, there's yeah. most construction activity going to take place the following day. <laughs> he hides the car I didn't on think the construction of that. site. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. 
And then he goes, then he goes into, um, then he basically walks into 1955. And I love the Sandman song, um, introducing yeah. us to the town of Hill Valley. And it looks like a town that I'd actually like to visit and go on holiday in. Yeah. And Michael J. Fox's reaction as he's walking around that everything's a shock. And again, he, he yeah. tripping around looking at everything and it's it's played out so well that yeah he's just shock and awe that what the fuck has happened it's brilliant yeah no one else could have pulled it off like he did no no completely completely no and uh i mean even like the petrol garage and you know the car stops and they'll come out give the car a little wash fill it up with petrol i'm like oh my gosh yeah. that would have been brilliant and why don't they do that today but there we go um no, i don't know whether this is true or not but um is it Christopher Lloyd's great, I think his great-great-grandfather was one of the original people on the board of Texaco. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, wow. All oh, right. Well, that's true or not. Where did you read that? So, um, whilst, obviously, I was at work busy today, uh, <laughs> I was at IMDb for about an hour just looking at uh, different facts on the internet. So... Uh, ah. Yeah. Talking different facts, the the uh, the power output of a of a, a DeLorean is it's two and a half two point eight five liters, and it's a V six engine, hundred thirty hundred thirty brought hundred thirty brake horsepower. So it probably wouldn't have made that noise. No. Oh, oh that's so that's added in. That's, they did well doing that. Yeah, they must yeah. have added in post production. In post production. Ah, well, that's good. Um, so, oh, I'm I'm, ple- I'm pleased I'm pleased about that, and disappointed at the same time that it doesn't make that noise. Uh, but yeah, so, and then he goes obviously into what we'd call a coffee bar now, but it's a, it's a very like, uh, you know, you know, akin to almost walking on a set of grease, isn't it? This coffee bar. Mm. Um, he <laughs> goes there and then that's when, when he had the exchange with the guy who wants to use the phone. He looks at Mr. Brown and he goes, give me a tab. And the guy goes, well, well you haven't ordered anything yet, son, kid. Um, and then he yeah, goes, what's it? Free. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're paying for it. Um, yeah, if you want a Pepsi, you've got to pay for it. I'll have a tab. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I know, he's not, he's not doing well, is he? Um, now, as I understand, a tab is basically a clear Coke, yeah, in America. Yeah, they they yeah. they used to sell them over here as well, but they've stopped. Is it, yeah. um, is it, is it worse than Coke for you? Because it's clear Coke. It looks like lemonade, but tastes like Coca-Cola. I used to like tab clear. I yeah, I really... did. Yeah. Yeah, well, I got it. They got rid of it. I know. But it's a Pepsi, and is it was it Coke or was it a Pepsi? It must be a Pepsi. It must be a Pepsi because yeah. the of the predominance that Pep yeah that, that, that Pepsi's obviously in. Yeah. Do, do you prefer Coke done tab? Pardon? I thought Coca Cola did tab. I'm not. They, they might well have done. They, they could have done, I suppose. Let's uh, find let's out. Let's, Google is your friend. Who Google owns tab drink? Yeah, Michael yeah. Fox back in the Coca-Cola, 80s. Yeah, Coca Cola, the Coca Cola company. Um, first started, Chad was known to be popular in the 1670s, and several variations were made, including a member of Fruit Flavor Root Beer. Which is, yeah, tab, tab, okay. Um, but then he asked for a Pepsi Free, and then it's very much no. Um, and then he gets something without sugar. So he gives him a coffee. Is it a coffee he gives him? Yeah. Yeah. It's a black coffee. And then he realizes he's sitting next to the one and only Crispin Glover, George McFly. Yep. Um, actions, don't they? Sitting at the by the yeah. camera. Oh, I love that bit. That's such it's a like good watching shot. Watching Twins, isn't it? That film Twins. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was brilliant. So... That was such a good shot, wasn't it? And they're both and they're both and they're both sitting there. And then obviously we realise. I think it's his dad before he does, and he's uh, at the same time. He's like, oh my gosh. And then and then and then Biff Tannen came in, comes in, and kind of like ruins what could have been a magical moment. Yeah. 
for everyone. Um, Biff, I, I, Biff's so good as well. And in real life, he's meant to be a really, really lovely guy. And I don't know if you've spoken about him um, and Eric Stoltz. No. Talk to me, Stu. Apparently, on when Eric Stoltz uh, was thought he was going to play this character out through to the end, that he'd method act and he would only be called Marty on set and he wouldn't answer to anything else. Hmm. And during the fight scenes, the cafeteria fight scene, um, he was really aggressive to um, Biff Tannen's character and oh. so much to the extent that the next fight scene, that Biff, who was a really nice, quite a placid guy, even for his size, really wanted to hurt him. And he got... Um, but he got like released or sacked before that could happen. And uh, they didn't tell uh, Christopher Lloyd, they didn't tell Doc that he got the sack. And they said that Eric Stoltz has got the sack. And sarcastically, um, because Stoltz was method acting and wouldn't be t um, spoken to by his own name, he pretended not to know who Eric Stoltz was who got the sack, just to take <laughs> a piss out of him. <laughs> 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 I did not know that. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. this role, it's not like yeah. not like a taxi driver or the deer hunter or something like that or Rain Man, where you really need to get into a character. I mean, no wonder they thought he didn't have the right sense of humour. Even he admitted he didn't have a good sense of humour to pull this off. Surely, you don't need to method act for Michael yeah. J. Fox's role in Back to the Future. Yeah, taking it too seriously. No, yeah, I know, I know. Um, I, th I think that's why the guy from Barney quit as well. The dinosaur took it. He took his role too seriously, apparently. So, um, so we've got... Um, <laughs> that was such a bad joke, I'm so sorry. So we've got Let, Let, Lorraine... Uh, not Lair Thompson, no. For fuck's sake. I keep looking at that name. I'm so sorry, guys. Okay, so obviously, yeah, yes, Thomas F. Rawson is it that, that plays Biff Tannen. Now, if I, if I said to you, top a top five 80s movie villain... He's got to be one. He's got to be out there in the top five. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's the bully. He's any bully you get. Biff is the character. That's it. You always remember yeah. Biff. He's just absolutely brilliant. We've all known a Biff. He, he plays it so well. Oh god, yeah, and he's so likable as well with it. That, that's the nice thing about it. But even though, especially we've been talking about the end and the part in the canteen, which is quite serious of what could happen. He's still weirdly a likable character because he's vulnerable, isn't he? As well, he, he's yeah. a little bit. He's a little bit vulnerable. He lives with his gran, and he's he always says the wrong thing. He thinks he's cool, but he's like you know. He says, "Make like a tree and get out of here." You know, you know it's that's not the saying. And yeah. even his mates are looking and going, "This guy's a buffoon, but he's bigger than us, so we'll leave one." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. By default, right. uh, yeah, by default, um, he's a buffoon, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, um, but I like the fact that Marty sticks up to him straight away, which is the opposite of his father. And then obviously, um, throughout the film, it kind of like, you know, um, gives, gives, gives obviously um, George McFly's character more confidence. Um, and uh, we obviously get a very different parent when, 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 he, when he comes back, obviously when he goes back to the future. Um, pun intended there. But yeah, so um, he, he's there and he's like, you're my... You're my, he's about to say, you're my dad. You're like, you're George McFly. And I was like, yeah, and then he basically follows him. He follows his dad. What, you know, what's he up to? What's my dad doing? This guy, it's, it's amazing. And I mentioned seeing your dad to, 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 to basically see that he's basically a pervert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I, yeah. Do it, Stu, or shall I? 
It's so good. It's so good. But um, it, does he go? Does he get knocked out before he meets Doc? I can't remember. Who? Uh, from the cafe, does he then go and follow George and get knocked out? Then obviously meet Lorraine, or does he go to meet Doc? No, he 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 gets knocked out first, I think, because Doc basically says once he convinces Doc that he's a future boy, isn't it? Um, when, yeah. When, yeah. Um, once he convinces him, I think. Um, he, he already spoke, he that's what he mentioned about him. He's met his mum already. You're right. Yeah, he says. Yeah, he says, "Don't do anything that can alter history." And he went, uh, "I might have met my parents." Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And by that time, he's already identified his dad as a peeping tom. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's a, yeah. <laughs> he's a peeping tom. He's a peeping. And then, and he falls. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. So and good. then. And then he he falls out the tree, and then obviously Marty thinks he's saving it. I love the line. Obviously, that the dad hits him. Um, um, Mar- uh, Michael J. Fox ta- he does take what looks to be quite a hit on the back of his head on the concrete. Yeah. Um, and the dad gets out. Um, you know, you know, um, it, you know, his, his basically his granddad and says, ah, uh, he shouts out to his wife and he goes, one one of these kids fell out the tree again. Or something like that. <laughs> which I thought was funny. You think you're, think, you're thinking it's got to happen. It's been, this has got to be like at least the second, third, or fourth occasion now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, just get some blinds in Leah's room. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then obviously he wakes up, um, and he's like, "Mom," and obviously is his mum. You know, we find out, and then turns the lights on, and then the, the, you know the mum's sitting there, and it's fairly obvious. Oh, I mean, th- th- this is like Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones is popular, isn't it? I mean, I mean, mum's well into him. <laughs> you can understand why Disney didn't want to touch this, can't you? Yeah. Why they turned it down. And because um, <clears throat> being so, I mean, he struggled so much, didn't he? I don't, have you spoken about this already? Who? Zemeckis trying to pitch this idea and get, getting turned down. No, 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 no. I know, I know it was initially going to be Disney, but they didn't like the idea of the whole mum, fan, you know, the mum something, did they? Yeah, and you can fully understand that. Um, Especially when you get into the uh, like the parking scene at the end and things like that, but you kind of it's weird how fate works itself out. The fact he did *Remains in the Stone* and got the kind of the respect from doing that, and then I think this was the first film that went under Amblin. That when he went to speak to Steven Spielberg and finally got the backing, this was his first Amblin production. Oh, I didn't know that. I kind of think, thank God for like twists of fate like that. That these things happened, or because they really wanted to, because at that time it was um, things like Hawkins and things like that going on, where it was kind of like cheeky adult humor, mm. and that's the way they wanted to twist this film, first of all, um, especially with the idea of uh, the mum and the sister um, uh, kind of twisting that round and seeing women in their bras and things. But Zemeckis really didn't want to do that, he wanted a family film, which was why obviously he was pissed off when Disney turned him down. but I mean, thank God for Steven Spielberg. Otherwise, oh, definitely. South on, yeah, oh God, it would just be unbelievable. But yeah, I just think it's really weird sometimes the way fate's twisted and these things turn out the way they do and get the backing from someone like Spielberg. Oh, no, no, absolutely serious. It's like a perfect storm, obviously, you know, with that, Eric Stoltz leaving, Michael J. Fox ended up accepting the you know, accepting the, accepting that role and obviously having a very busy period, um, um, obviously sh- 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 shooting all his other stuff. Um, yeah, no, definitely. So, and I like the fact that she refers to him as Calvin Klein because it's on his pants, which which, which mm, cracks yeah. me up. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely brilliant. It is, is just she... so good. And the TV as well. 
You've got two TVs. No yeah. one. No TV. TVs. Yeah, that's yeah. I know. Uh, uh, Christ, uh, Christ! Imagine, imagine bringing an iPad to them. You'll burn, get burnt for being a witch, wouldn't you? <laughs> was that kid, their older brother, with with, with the with the beard, with the, um, the the beaver thing on the back of his head? Was he? Was he in the living years? I was trying to pick. Just trying I to do recognise him. I do. He's got a Davy Crockett thing in his head, hasn't he? I think. Yeah, he's like. We've really got two TVs, like, and yeah, I'm sure he was in the living years. There's the older brother. Something like that, isn't it? The Wonder Years, that's it. The Wonder yeah. Years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. The yeah. Wonder yeah. Years. But the, the mother, Leah Thompson, plays the, she, the way she plays it throughout the film, and it, gets, and it gets deeper and deeper. But she is very much a real predator. Especially when she turns <laughs> up, at, <laughs> yes. she, turns up yeah. she, she manages to follow him home. I know we're talking about, but she, 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 she turns up at the garage after following you home, and you know, I followed you and that. And seeing her throughout the film, she's a real predator. Oh, God, she's awful, isn't she? I think Plays her very well. and George and Biff as well are the only people throughout all the films who play um, four characters in each film, aren't they? Real, is it? So her, George, sorry, yeah. Uh, it's in four. Is it Biff? Yeah, Biff uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite clever. It's really, really good. Yeah. Another pointless fact that will take another in life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good fun. It is. Uh, mate, it, it might it might give you the winning question at a uh, uh, you know pub quiz maybe if they ever reopen. Um, yeah. So you know. The, don't don't knock it, Stu. So, yeah, um, and and you're right about her being a predator because they're sitting on, they're basically sitting there at the table, and she wants to feed them up in front of her parents, which is absolutely yeah. crazy. He can stay in my room. I know, <laughs> and I like the thing because obviously she's, <laughs> um, obviously she's quite shocked because uh, before dinner, when when mom calls up, she goes, "Oh my god, my mother!" or something, doesn't she? And she's like really really quite concerned that her mum might yeah. come and see her. And then she uh, and then obviously um he's he's talking about oh this is a rerun. What's a rerun? I've seen this one before. You know, obviously the yeah. four, the four, you know the foreshadowing coming coming to pass, so to speak, on the uh, on the show they're watching. And then he imagine can't... if they were BBC One. Jesus Christ, all they show is reruns. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, when you think that. Lorraine, um, Leah Thompson, James, is really, really attractive, isn't she? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, would you be tempted? No, no, not no, no, she was my mum. No. Handjob, maybe. But that's it's kind of no. different, though, isn't um, it? <laughs> I'm joking. Yes, it's it is kind of different. Mom, not your mum. Not your mum. No, no, she's not my No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Imagine your mum coming on to you, even when she's younger. Say, when the lads go away and it's like a different postcode or different hemisphere you could actually get away with it even more and say well it's a different bloody year it's a different era you'd have an excuse i'm just putting it out there that you would have an excuse ready well it was not if it's no, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. so 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 your excuse would be it's okay to have sex with my mum because i'm a time traveler is, is, is that what you're saying yes <laughs> Fair. that's right fine clarify that that's absolutely fine I don't know yeah. what. I, knowing that information, I, I, just, I don't know what to do with that now, though. I think that but, might mess up the, the time space continuum. It, it, it probably would. It probably would. Oh, I mean, yeah. probably would you probably have to stick to a hand handy and that's about it, then. Oh, uh, yeah. Otherwise, you could end up being your own dad. Yeah. That'd be weird. 
yeah, it would be weird, but yeah, yeah forget the idea then. It's going to get too complicated. It'd be like heavy. A, oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're right, the, the, the term heavy. He, Michael J. Fox used that a couple of times. And I love the fact yeah. that Doc, uh, I mean, he goes, heavy, you keep saying that. There's something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, the fact that he, um, he, he, he refers to the, uh, to the ball, the under the sea, you know, the under the sea board. I forgot what you refer to it. I always laugh. It's, a, it's like it's, a, it's like a rhythmic, rhythmic gathering or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> annual rhythmic gathering or something. Yeah, yeah. square. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, I mean, you could definitely tell it takes him like three, three films to get laid, can't you? Talking like that, so. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so so back to obviously, and then I like the fact that people always always referring to uh, Marty's life preserver and the fact that he's a yeah. sailor, um, <laughs> which is yeah. And then he obviously runs away, and that's when he sees Doc Brown, isn't it? In the dark, which he knocks. Brilliant introduction. The, when he opens the door and he's got that thing on his head. <laughs> yeah. Don't say. Don't say anything. And he says, yeah. "Have you come a long way to get here?" Yes. Yes. <laughs> And he answers another couple of questions wrong, and he goes, "You know what this means? Oh, yeah, it doesn't work." <laughs> yeah, I, love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It is brilliant, isn't it? And then he and then he goes into um, he goes almost from the house until obviously I, th- I think like a, a big hall, like a big barn or something, so to speak. And that's when obviously Marty goes tells tells Dot the story, and then convinces him that he's kind of telling he the truth. Him, he asks him. He said, "Oh, so who's who's the president of the future?" And he said, "Well, Ronald, um, Ronald Reagan." Ronald Reagan. He went, "Ha, the actor." Yeah, <laughs> who's vice president? Did, no, did he say Jerry Lewis? President wasn't it? Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it starts reeling off all these actors and singers. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was that was that was a good moment. Um, and then and then obviously he convinces him, and then um, I love the bit when he um shows him obviously the video, and he's like, of course, of course, your president has to be good looking, you know. And then he says, of course, uh, uh, he talks about the fallout of the nuclear war, why of the of the, of the uh, atomic wars or whatever, isn't it? Why he's why he's wearing um a special suit in the video. Yeah. Um, mm. And then uh, I love his reaction to the 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah. <laughs> Classic line. It's 1.21 gigawatts. And then obviously we have the next bit of foreshadowing. And that's, that's that almost, that, that completes itself to the fact that he says, oh, well, we need, you know, the only thing that can do that is a lightning strike. And they're basically so unpredictable and, and, and you know, saying they're random. And then Marty has the flyer. With the, the I love you, and he's like, "Well, we do now. We know this." And he shows, and then uh, you know, that's when we have the eureka moment of how of how Michael J. Fox is going to get back home. Yeah, and it's yeah. a really convenient countdown, isn't it, for the film of what's going to happen, which is nice because it it sticks to a nice plan, doesn't it? That you know he's only got eight days, and he says it himself. He goes eight days. He goes because it's fine. I can stick around for eight days and just keep out of trouble. So it's quite nice when there's a countdown because you know. In the end, this is what's going to happen, and what's going to happen when he goes in there, because from there they go to the high school, don't they? Where he says, "Right, let's meet your father." Um, they go back to um, Hill Valley High, and they meet George again, classic, who's got the um, "kick me" sign attached to his back. <laughs> it's yeah. really, I feel loose. so sorry for him. Yeah, kicking him. I mean, um, and um, I like it. He's like, yeah, he basically said, "When you adopted or something," Doc says, doesn't he? When he when he sees him. Um, how much of a loser Mr. McFly is. And Marty's trying yeah. to convince him, isn't he? Uh, you know, go out, you know, sort it out. You know, you, you know, you need, you need to go with my mum. And obviously he, he meets his mum again there and his mum fancies him even, fancies him even more. Yeah. 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 That's when they realised that he was hit by the car instead. And that's what's kind of fucked everything up in a way. 
It has, hasn't it? It has. She um, doesn't even see him, does she? Doesn't he? Doesn't even see Crispin Glover or George. She just, just, just basically just bypasses him and goes straight to, straight to Marty. Yeah, she's didn't she? Sorry, doesn't he? And was he replying? Goes. You keep saying everything's heavy. What's what's his answer that Doc says? I can't remember. He, now, he, so. goes, he goes, there's something wrong with the Earth's gravitational yeah. pull in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, then, and that's when he goes, you know, we need to get a social thing. And that's when he refers very nicely to obviously the under the sea ball. Um, and it, it's just a bit, it, it, and it's the, I think it's this scene where uh, Marty ends up uh, realising that it's going to take more convincing to get um, George, his dad, to try and date his mum again, isn't it? Yeah, they go into the canteen. That's the next scene, isn't it? Where um... that's it. No, no. Before yeah. the no, um, when I think it is, I could be wrong. When is it that Darth Vader meets George McFly? Is that before the canteen bit or after? No, it's after. Uh, it's after canteen, isn't it? Okay, sorry. You still can't convince him. Yeah, that's it. My apologies. Yeah, because he kind of turns around once he. Because Biff's virtually sexually assaulting um, Lorraine in the canteen. Yes. And uh, it's obviously a different generation, not that it's right, but different era. And he's kind of a, she says, I don't want it. She goes, well, maybe you do want it. You just don't know yet. Yeah. And he's really quite aggressive and she's got no choice. It's and a bit, so, bit rapey uh, there, really, isn't he? It is a bit rapey. Yeah, not for the first time in this no. film. And Marty does the right thing and sticks up for her, which is great. But that causes George to be in his shadow again and then leave yeah. the canteen, which, as you say, causes him to have to go to the house and uh, Eddie Van Halen him. Yeah, like that. <laughs> and you've made that into a uh, Eddie Van Halen him. Yeah, and, and before that, obviously, Michael J. Fox invents a skateboard. Yeah, yeah. so that's um, the scene, the next scene, isn't it? Or is it in the canteen after that? Or uh, I can't remember. I saw it today. Um, I think it's. I think the this the skateboard scene is because they go back to the cafe. They go back to the cafe, and he and he ends up laying out Biff, doesn't he? Yeah, he ends up tripping him up, and then yeah. punching him. He goes. He goes. Look over there. Punches him. Punches him. And then runs, runs out. out and, and then they and they run out in the car, don't they? And they and they try and get him. And that's when he to ask her out on a date. And so the next day he meets her, and they walk to the the town square together, and he's. Saying you're my destiny, and he goes, "This is great." I'll yeah, write that's this it, that's down. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he's um, going to go into the canteen, and he says, that's "Lorraine, it. you're my density. I mean, destiny." Yeah, and <laughs> yes. Biff walks in. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. does kick off from there. And I mean, the the chase scene with the skateboard and is brilliant. He's quite a proficient skateboarder, but it is just so so good. It's so exciting. It's just fun all over. Yeah. It is. And and thus begins Biff's, Biff, Biff's slight slight dislike upon seeing a horseman here. Yeah, isn't it? And then all these little little intricacies that you see in one then translate to two as well, don't they? So it it, it doesn't. And where some films like the joke gets old, I never feel it does get old. Um, I think it's I think it's, yeah, you're right, Paul. I think it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 way the way it does, and and obviously you know it cost it cost Biff three hundred dollars, which was I imagine quite a lot back then. We, we we find out later, but um, the score was brilliant in that in in that skateboard scene, and obviously um, you know the way it changes from really happy to 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 the, to the ominous part of the score when obviously Mark McFly's in trouble when he's driving. It looks like he's gonna drive him into that other tr- you know the manure truck, um, yeah. and then obviously Mark McFly does that incredible stunt um which is practically done because as he would have to in the 80s he runs over everyone and, and then jumps on the skateboard again and we get the lovely back yeah. of the future music again 
Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It's brilliant the way he jumps over then just kills the skateboard to a stop. And they just, yeah. crack, as you say, into the manure. It's just played out. And it just, he's so cool. Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly is so cool. He even it's, kicks the back of the skateboard up, doesn't he? And hands it in it. And it spins around slightly. He hands it back to the girl. Yeah. You're like, I want to be you. I want to be yeah. you. <laughs> but, what I, yeah, but what I like about Mike McFly's character in this, and there's Michael J. Porter has alluded to, that Michael J. Fox does so well, he's still, he, yes, he is very cool, but he's still very much the everyman because he does fall over. He is a bit of a doofus at times, which, 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 is, which I think is all the more important because I think it's there for much easier to relate to him. If that makes yeah, any sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. He doesn't show off at the end of the scene. He just gives a skateboard back to the kid, then realises that Georgia's gone. Yeah. And he's off. So, mm. and, it, and it's nice, because as you, you say, Jay, and you're spot on, that he's kind of an everyman, and you believe that possibly you could um, be uh, Marty McFly one day and be as cool as him, mm. because he's just, just a small kid, isn't he? He's awesome. Spoiler alert, it didn't happen, though. I'm not, I never was as cool as him, unfortunately. Do you, do you remember whenever these? Because I was a, a, a keen into skateboarding in the eighties. Do you remember when, when, um, whenever this was shown on television? And bearing in mind, we didn't really have we had computers, we didn't have like playstations or iPhones or, or anything. This is the eighties prior to any kind of like massive technical advancement. The the day this film was shown on television, which normally around Christmas time or in the summer. The following day or later that day, all the kids would be on their skateboards. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was a big trend. Yeah, seriously. And I would be, I'd be one of them. So you were into the skateboard anyway, but you put it away. But you'd see the film, and then suddenly, yeah, it was one of those things. You're like, right, I want to, you know, like watching Karate Kid. You want to join a karate club, you know? So, but the following day, if it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning, all the kids would be on their skateboards because they'd they'd seen the film. Yeah, definitely. I did. I got a skateboard. I was dog shit at skateboarding <laughs> I've got no balance I was fucking terrible considering I'm um, six foot three I was, I was fairly good well I wasn't six foot three back then but um, I was <laughs> I was alright <laughs> yeah, streak of piss but you weren't a six foot yeah. three ten year old then <laughs> <laughs> I had a very very high um, centre uh, of gravity <laughs> but I could still still hold it together I never came off I don't think anyway Got a six foot three, yeah. Six foot three, Tony. I'm thinking it's fucking records. I think that would definitely break a few, wouldn't it? Um, From that scene, he goes back to see Doc, doesn't he? Who's got the? I love the the model. We go. He (laughs) apologises. Yes, he does. I've not had a chance to paint it. Yeah. (laughs) And he comes up with the idea of. The, the strike of lightning is going to hit the clock and you must go 88 miles an hour and we'll get it set up. We know it's going to happen. Um, we've got that luxury. And, and it's really good. And again, the kind of you're brought back into it as a countdown and this is what's going to happen. And he's only got so long to tie up the loose ends of getting George and Lorraine together, getting rid of Biff and getting his life and his family back together. And it, it's, it's just great, the excitement. Because you've still no idea what he's going to do. Because at that time, George can't organise a piss up in a brewery, and he can't go anywhere near Lorraine because she's infatuated with Marty McFly, mm. and she actually turns up there and asks him out for the dance, um, which makes matters even worse, doesn't it? Mm. 
Mm. You see Doc's face, he's just he's bewildered, isn't he? Oh, talking about his yeah. face, the faces he makes are absolutely ridiculous, yeah. but in a good way. I mean, even when when when, he, when he's got his little, uh, you know, when he's got his little, use of the little car on his little model, and it goes and it, and it sets the binner light on him, goes, Woo! the face, I mean, I mean, the face <laughs> yeah. of this guy and his mm. eyes, yeah, and the, his eyes are so expressionate as well. Uh, particularly, um, I, I mean, you see it the most, obviously, towards the end of the film when everything seems to be going wrong with the clock tower. Um, but yeah, you're right, uh, and and I, th- I, I, I think we all agree that, that his mum is a predator, obviously for stalking him all the way. Because she, she's quite openly went, yeah, followed you here. Now I think if a man did that in 2020, he'd probably end up inside, um, wouldn't he? Really? Um, um, you know, like I fancy you, and you go knock on her, you go knock on her friend's door, not even her home address. I followed you here. Can I can I can I invite you to the uh, arrhythmic gyrating session we're going to have in a, in a week? Um, it's a TDF off, I'd imagine. Um, it screams restraining order, doesn't it? But so, yeah, they're like, oh my god, we've got a problem. Then obviously, Marty comes up, speaks to George, and comes up with this plan. He basically says, I'm going to molest my mum, and you're going to save her. <laughs> it's a brave plan, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this can't go wrong at all, can it? Um, no. You must have extreme confidence that it's going to work if you agree to sit in a car park or with your mum and try it on with her. And you're going to turn up. I mean, if George didn't keep time, he didn't turn up. It could have got really awkward, couldn't it? Yeah, he must have been doubting as well because you think to yourself, she really is. She she's really into me. So there's a good chance that you know I could I could start something and then I can't stop it. No, no. So she's a predator. So you know. He needs, he needs a he needs a plan B, but he doesn't have a plan B. It, it, it really you does know? need a plan. It does it does need a plan B, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I mean, plan B kind of happened, but that one, but no one bet against obviously. No, that. Yeah. no. Um, so uh, after that, do we do we do we cut then straight to the under the sea ball then? Because he speaks to George about the plan, and then we cut to <clears throat> when we cut to the um, uh, the uh, the dance enchantment, yeah, enchantment, yeah. yeah. yeah you see them park up. Um, mm. and whilst they're parking up, it kind of flicks to George, just kicking his heels, waiting for <laughs> yes. the right time uh, to go uh, back to the car park. And obviously, she's smoking, she's drinking, and the table is kind of turned. He's a real square, and he tells her, he's just you're drinking, you're smoking, and it's really bad for you. Then the door opens, and this bit, I mean, man, just watching it again with a critical eye, mm. it's really, really serious. I mean, Biff turns up. Michael J. Fox gets carted off into the back of the boot of the um, the band, hmm. and he really, you get the impression. If thankfully George turns up in one of the most tense situations going, that she would have been raped by him. I don't know what your hmm. thoughts are, but he wasn't going to stop. He was drunk. Yeah, I mean, he even says to his mate, "This is not a peep show. Get a move on," doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. For a PG yeah. film, I mean, Jesus, this really does really. It's quite dark, isn't it? At that point, it's really quite dark. Yeah, it's really serious, and she plays yeah. it really well. She is in distress, and if George wouldn't have turned up, who knows? Oh, well, I know what would have happened, but yeah, for a PG film to have this kind of thing, it, it is wouldn't never get away with it now. I mean, it mm. would have been scrapped now. But yeah, I mean, George plays it so well, and as I say, it is tense because he gets George's arm and he bends it behind his back, and you think, Jesus, he he would break his arm and Lorraine's screaming and she's really upset. And George it's acted out so well by Crispin Glover that the sheer terror in his face. And a lot of the lines 
apparently he's quite a quirky um, actor. And in this film, he kind of was shown the direction and he just kind of went off track and just ad-libbed a lot of things because that was what he did. And that's mm. what made it quite quirky, um, that it was the reaction of like, Michael J. Fox or Lorraine to what he was saying because uh, most of the time it was quite a surprise. But his body language is just so good. It, it's acted out so well. And as you say, it's really, really tense scene, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you can see he's, he's in absolute fear because this bully's been hounding his life for years. And you can see he's sweating, he's 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 shaking, and he, he's trying to work out that balance. He's getting that balance in his head of what to do. And <clears throat> he's in absolute fear of Biff. But he has this one opportunity when, he's, when Biff is looking over at Lorraine laughing. And you can see that. And it's quite a long scene, isn't it, where you watch his fist just tense and clench up. And then he takes that swing and knocks him Sparko. And it's, you can see that he's just suddenly taken a huge brave pill because he's got no idea what, what's coming after that. Um, but it's a big brave step for him. And he, yeah, he knocks him out. And just three, I think there's three different shots, three different angles in there, watching mm. Biff just spin, hit the deck in one area, and then, and then another shot of hit, hit, hitting the deck. <clears throat> Brilliant. No, and, it is brilliant. Good. Yeah, you know, you're right, Paul. And I think, I know, I know we're saying how tense the scene is, but I think... Had that scene not been tense, the moment after, when obviously Biff wins the day, no, no Biff gets hit, and George mm-hmm. McFly wins the day, wouldn't have felt as earned and good for the audience. I mean, that is a really, like, yeah. pump, yeah, freaking yes moment, isn't it? Um, that is. it? Yeah, and that, I mean, I'd argue that's almost, for me, that's almost more emotional than Marty actually um, making it to the clock tower and stuff, for example. Yeah, yeah, definitely, that's spot on. It's a huge payoff. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's brilliant. It, it's done so well. You, you instantly get that tension that mounts up, turns into joy, equally the same amount Absolutely. for the payoff. George becoming a man, sticking up for himself, and the plan's worked. He's got his girl. And it, it's so good, and it's all done by one click of a finger when he smacks Biff on the chin. And it, it's, again, like a lot of this thing, these films, it's written so well, and it's so neat and tidy. You don't need words, it's just actions, and it's done brilliantly for the audience. And you get that warm score as well, don't you? Mm. With it, just a yeah. nice, like, kind of like just uplifting um, piece of music that goes with it, and you know it's just he, the job's done. Yeah, it's so good, you don't need words, it's done brilliantly well. And that leads to Michael J. Fox being locked into the boot. He's um, released by one of the band members, which thankfully. Um, it's the guitarist as well, which is really convenient where he injures his hand. And they, God, they can't carry on the dance. They don't need, they need another guitarist. Who else can play the guitar? But Michael J. Fox, because he's fucking cool to do everything. <laughs> it's just an awesome scene. Yeah. So Absolutely. Say, when I get to play in front of an audience, I never will. And he does it in 1955 and he kicks ass massively. It's brilliant. Yeah. All over the stage. It's just so, so good. It is. I mean, I, I even like the song they have, Earth Angel, and I think that's that's a really nice rendition of a version of it. Obviously, that that, that they're playing. Um, and uh, while he, while obviously he's playing, um, George 
And obviously, um, I'm not going to say I forgot the actress's name, but it's um, my, my freaking Lorraine Lee Lair. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, they're, they're, they're dancing. I never quite. I understand why this moment happened, but I never quite understood it. Okay, so George is there. Everyone's saying you should run for class president because that moment mm. has almost mm. completely done a 180 on his whole character. Uh, and you kind of well. yeah, and you kind of realise that 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 moment with Biff is is ultimately the moment that changes everything in the future in relation to the par- their parents' relationship. And um, but then this basically ginger guy who kind of looks <laughs> who looks like freaking Sherman from American Pie, um, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, ends up taking him. And I I understand because you want the tents. Of we've had this whole thing with the photo, everyone going, all his brothers, his brother and sister going in the photo, and now Marty's obviously going, and he's looking at his hand, you know, and it's going. But but George has just hit Biff. The ginger guy's taken Lorraine. He's kind of walking off. Thank God, obviously, he turns around, and, and um, it's such a good moment. But but it's really, I, find, I I still find it a tiny bit strange to this day where he's he's uh, he's earned that, and then this this ginger guy just takes Lorraine off. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah from, weird thing when you've just got so much payoff which has mm. worked well but I think that's obviously balanced out the concept still on the storyline of Michael J. Fox's the timeline and his family and I think it could have been done in a better way than having some ginger geezer just barging in and trying to cut into the dance I think you're right yeah. it, it's a weird thing because there's, there's no real climax to it but again you, you wouldn't have got the ridiculous special effects of the strange angle of the hand in front of uh, Marty McFly's face, otherwise, would you? <laughs> to this to this day, they could have redone that. I'm sure there's a better <laughs> way of doing that. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not great, is it? I tried doing it myself, and it's not possible. It is. No. <laughs> but as you say, like, did you, if, if it had been the school quarterback taking her aside, you know, and having a dance with her, then maybe. But um, <clears throat> you might have thought, oh, OK, well, I'll let her have a dance. But then... You know, he's, like you say, he just had this massive payoff. You're going to let, well, for, for me, it'd be like, like anyone nearer now? You're just about to, because she says to him, aren't you going to kiss me, George? And then the ginger guy comes. You're like, for fuck's sake, come on, kiss her. Yeah, you really want it to happen, don't you? But yeah, thankfully, he does fight him off. And then um, he plays uh, Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good, and that's brilliant. He goes, Chuck, it's your cousin, Marvin. Oh, I love yeah. that, yeah. Just before that, Stu, sorry, just before that, you know when Michael D. Fox sort of collapses, right? Yes, when he gets up again. When he gets up again, is is he not just falling in reverse? Because he is, he is, yeah. It I lo- looks like... It is. Why is that? I think they, they, they did it to basically come in, you know, some the power coming back to normal. Um, mm. um, yeah, and he is falling in reverse. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. But I think, if it, I think they've done it, because if he just stood up and got his hand back and then went to normal, it wouldn't look... As empowering, until the photo comes back. I th- that's why I think they've done it to make maybe. it more, make me make more. Yeah. And I like the fact that he sees George and waves and uses his arm and looks at it and realizes it's still there, which is a nice moment as well. Yeah, um, yeah it's strange. It's, yeah, it's a bit bizarre angles and uh, and speeds of things, but yeah, you kind of uh, you can accept it, can't you? Yeah, yeah. you can forgive a lot. <laughs> Definitely, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And the next music set, as I say, is just. Superb, really, really enjoyable. I mean, everyone loves seeing someone play the guitar and rock a set, and he does it just fantastic. Again, he oozes cool. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He, he, he does. It starts off really well. Everyone loves it, um, including, including obviously, uh, Mr. Barry's cousin, uh, um, Marvin. 
the, um, and but then, but then but then he kind of goes a bit too far. He 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 delves into the 1980s glamour rock, doesn't oh, he? So good. It's, it's I love it. Angus Young across the stage. <laughs> the, the just the reaction when you turn around and the whole hall yeah. has just got zero expression <laughs> on their face and they're just staring at him. It, it Stripping into so, the middle. So yeah, <laughs> just, just so unimpressed. Mm. But it's just brilliant. But yeah, so he does that. And, and again, it's a weird scene. And I watched it again today and I kind of thought, oh, it's just a bit strange because he goes behind the stage and then um, Lorraine comes and George comes and it's like, oh, I've got a feeling about you two. Mm. And uh, and as he's walking away, he turns around and says, look, when you have children, if your eight-year-old burns a hole in the carpet, just forgive them. And you've got to think, Jesus, they've only just got together. And now you're talking about having children. Obviously, he's got the inside knowledge that he knows they will. But it's just a, a strange thing to come up with. Where it's, it's a little bit superfluous, isn't it? It is. It is. I think... It, didn't, it wasn't needed. No, it wasn't. I think the, the only thing that... I don't think it saves that, but is the look that um, both the actor and actress, uh, you know, McFly and uh, Le- uh, Le- um, George McFly and obviously um, his mum... Um, <laughs> I'm fucking saying it. I keep getting away. Um, George, George, <laughs> George, George, and Lorraine. There we go. I, I literally had to scroll up on my mouse though to check. Cause I was getting upset with Stu's with, with laughing. I thought, no, not this time. I'm gonna get it right. Um, so, so George and George and Lorraine. I, they do basically give like almost embarrassing smiles about it. I think when when, when yeah. I watch. But yeah, I think I think superfluous is probably the best word to describe that that the whole thing that whole the whole bit when he goes back um and then obviously he uses the car and and uh while this is all happening doc is uh, you know like the weather's coming you know um and where, where's my looking looking at his three clocks which i think is quite funny yeah damn yeah damn, damn. Yeah, yeah that's it yeah and marley turns up gets in the car um and then obviously you know go goes and gets ready um and Doc's put the final touches, and then unfortunately, um, the uh, you know the, the, one of the plugs obviously comes undone, and then he has to go up to the clock tower. Well, left the first, well, doesn't he? He he tells him that something happens in 1985, and he says, "I don't know, you'll change time." Well, don't forget, he's written a he letter has. first, doesn't he? So he's, he's sat in the cafe and he's written this letter out to yeah. Doc. Yeah. He puts it, he puts it in an envelope, right, saying, "Don't open till 1985," which I was watching it again today, and again I've never really noticed this before, but. He could have written on there, open whenever you want, but remember it in 985. Yes, that would have been better, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> because you need to remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whenever you want, but make sure you remember it because it's really important. Yeah, because it's something you wouldn't forget, isn't it? Don't you're open to 985. Yeah. It is, it, is, it is fairly important, isn't it? Um, and there's Michael J. Fox. He's trying to start the car. It's not going. Um Doc is struggling. Obviously, he's on he's on the clock tower. He slips, and then the thing the thing falls and basically like tears his trousers a bit. It's the only thing that keeps it going. Mm. He's like, oh my god! The tree falls down on the wire. He ends up clipping clipping the two together on the top clock tower. But then, to his horror, obviously, unclips at the bottom, um, in the bottom of the tree. Then and then and then he realizes that Marty's getting closer and closer. Longest road in the world, by the way. Um, this is isn't it? As, he, as, he, as he's driving, mm. and then he runs. And then, and then, obviously, just before the light, you know, as the lightning hits, he uh, clips it, doesn't he? I was yeah. thinking, actually, if if the dock would have fallen from the clock tower and fallen to his death, right? Then 
would Margaret would Martin McFly would have disappeared then because the dot wouldn't have existed in 1985. Too bad the time machine. So if he, if he'd have fought, yeah, if he'd have fallen, he would never have met the time machine, and Martin, Martin McFly would have just died, not have existed. Yeah, yeah, true. Actually, yeah, I didn't think well, of that. Have, yeah, he would have died in 1955, but he'd still exist in 1985 because mum and dad are still together. But yeah. Yes, yeah, so what would have happened? Yeah, well, he just disappeared. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. But I suppose then you wouldn't have Back to the Future 2 because he wouldn't have had children. You wouldn't have had Back to the Future 2 um, and they'd have been a lot less rich, wouldn't they? Yeah. What, because of the, what, the almanac? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, it would have changed everything. That would have been quite good, actually. Something would have happened like that. You could have still, different timelines, you could have still got away with it, couldn't you? Yeah. I just wondered. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, so he does get back and he goes back, he sets it 10 minutes earlier, doesn't he? Because he wants to, obviously he believes that Doc's ripped that letter up and he's not going to be there um, to warn him when he gets shot. But he does get shot. And then as we spoke about at the start, you realise that he did open the letter and that he's alive and he's got a bulletproof vest on, which is really nice. Because when I first watched this, when I was a youngster, I thought he actually did get murdered, which mm. wouldn't have been a happy ending. No, no. I was really upset when that happened and I generally thought, oh no, he's going to get killed again. And I thought, well, he's going to make it. Surely he's going to make it, you know. And um, the car doesn't start again after after going into the Gremlin cinema, flying in, flying into the... What I would have liked in the Gremlins film is, is, is as Betty Pouts is walking out to see a DeLorean in, stacked in there. That would have been funny, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here? But yeah, he, he goes to, um, I think it's Lone Pine Mall or, or Pine Mall. In the end, drives out. I'm gonna to have to check that out about the pines. Stu, check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Let me know, Stu. Let me know. I think you're right. Yeah. It's Lone Pine Mall. Lone Pine Mall, something Pine Mall. Um, and then he goes in. Obviously, we think it's too late. He sees because the, the thing wouldn't start. He's had to run. He sees obviously good old Doc Brown getting shot, and he's like, "No!" And we're all like, "No!" And what I like about it, he sees from a different angle what happened to him, didn't he? From what he did. And for the first time, when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is really weird." You know, this might be fine. We've already seen that from a different angle of what happened, and obviously him getting in the him getting in the car and disappearing, and he goes up to Doc. And finds out that he was he had he had the letter all along. You do think he's dead? He does look dead, doesn't he, Paul? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, completely stone faced like a corpse. And then he um, obviously blinks, and we got that lovely music again. Uh, yeah, yeah, twinkle. Yes, oh, yes, yeah, that's paper. It's a twinkle. And um, yes. we realised he had a letter all along. Yeah, I've got your answer actually as well. Just to look oh, yeah? it up. So. It says, so why did Twin Pines Mall change to Lone Pine, change to Lone Pine Mall? And you're absolutely right. So when Marty travelled in 1955, he accidentally ran over one of a pair of pine trees in Mr. Peabody's uh, yard. Subsequently, when Martin returned to 1985, there was only one pine tree on the illuminated side at the mall entrance. As a result, the mall's name has been changed to Lone Pine Mall. So that's oh, the right. End. Oh, there you go. I'm going to watch that bit again. I want to see him run over it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really Stop, Jay. I have to say, oh, I never realised. Paul, Paul, it's not often that she gives me compliments, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that along with my post-it notes. <laughs> yeah, um, um, yeah. So happy ending for the doc. Marty goes back home, and I like the fact that he sleeps in exactly the same position he, as he had before. Yeah, uh, that's how I sleep actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. One arm on my back, and one like, um, like, um, oh, what's his name in, in uh, um. Family guy, Peter, when he falls over. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> one arm behind your back. Yeah. 
That's how I sleep. It's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that, that's not yeah. bad. Is, is it uncomfortable with six, six foot three and sleeping like that, though? I want to know. No, it's great. That's great. But what I don't sleep next to is a big close up of a Pepsi can. Yes, this is. <laughs> Again, he wakes up next to that. He does, of course. He, yeah, of course he does, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. And he goes downstairs, and we see a very different, a very different house. It's really nicely furnished. His brother is not in a fast food restaurant thing. Not that there's anything wrong with working at a fast food place, but he's like, he's like, why are you wearing that? He goes, well, I always wear a shirt. I always wear a suit when I go to the office. And his sister clearly has, she's a whore now. She's got lots of boyfriends by the sounds of it. Joking, of course. <laughs> we can always have it. It's 2020. You can have as many boyfriends as you want. Um, so, um, but what does his dad, because this is his first book that his dad has published, but he's obviously quite successful, but yeah. so you don't realise and you're not told what he actually does because he's kind of written a self-help book, isn't he? And they're really yeah. proud. But he's obviously good at something, but it'd be nice to know what it is. So I was watching, I was watching it again today. I was looking at the, the house is the same house. It is successful. They're all dressed nicely. The, the, the house is all nice and in order. Um, and they've obviously just come from the golf course. So they can afford golf course fees. But they still live in the same house with that pylon behind it. Yes. So yeah. he's not that successful. He can buy a new house, but he's successful yeah. enough that he can tidy it up. I think. I think they've got a place where they're comfortable and happy within themselves. Because I think when you look at it from, from at the beginning of the film, they're a very unhappy family. And I think I don't think anyone, probably other than Marty at the time, he hasn't been dragged down almost to their level because he he seems to be a lot more positive than the rest of them. They they all seem kind of like really really unhappy and dejected. Um, and not yeah. very confident people, and, and like, like even George McFly. Yes, he's happy watching his his little TV at the beginning of the film, but it, they were all um, uh, you. You kind of like I don't. You almost pity them rather than sympathise them with, with them. You know, you know, at, at the beginning, and then obviously because of the events of the film, you've got this massive art that's completely changed all of them. Um, yeah, and, and I kind of wonder whether he does Biff's job. Um, I don't know though. I've always that's why I've always assumed Stuart Paul that he does mm. maybe he does Biff's job, but then but then Biff's is obviously he's a car he's a car cleaner, isn't he? Or car? Yeah, he is. He is, and I, and I, I always struggle with um, bearing in mind what a bully he was and and um, how how vicious he was. How he's his personality is under completely one eighty, and he's really um, subservient mm. and, and apologetic and just sort of like bowing and you know so which is why when Back to the Future 2, when he sees the DeLorean, he says there's something, you know, something really, or something funny going on around here or something like that. But it's, you, you see the old Biff come yeah, back. Yeah, you do, don't you? There are Kate, but, and, you know, in this one, and, and he's obviously lying as well. Cause he, he always he's continually lying about how many coats he's put on the car. So he's, you know, I was putting the second coat on now. He goes, you know, um, so you can see there's that devious there somewhere, but that's never sat comfortable with me that he's actually a nice person still. No, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? You wouldn't change that much. You'd just, no, exactly, no, no. You'd be working He'd to you somehow. back at the time, I would have thought, rather than kissing his ass all the time. Yeah. Um, but then uh, what we see at the beginning of the film is that advert for the Toyota 4x4, and we see it again, don't we? Um, down, down, um, you know, on the other truck, on the other big truck, and he goes, "Oh, that's the car I want." And obviously, we find out his parents both bought in that car to take his girlfriend mm. Jennifer to the lake. He never gets to use it, does he? No, actually, yeah, he doesn't, does he? He has his. Doesn't he use? No, doesn't he use it in three? He does later on. Number three, he uses it. Yeah, because he he it is three. You're right, because that's when he avoids the accident. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. He of course. It. It's, 
he reverses it rather than going mm. forward. That's just where he, he, he misses the um, the Rolls Royce. No, the, oh. yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, but yeah, that's I think that's the first time we actually see him use it, though, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then and then obviously um, Doc. Then it all looks very happy. It almost looks like the film's about to end. Doc turns up in the in, in the DeLorean. Um, looks, he's got these really wacky-looking glasses, and um, he says, you know, basically he he opens up Mister Fusion. It's now not nuclear. It's powered by banana peel and beer. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be great if all, if all cars were powered by that? That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Um, and then he, uh, what I always think is strange is he's pouring the beer in. And then he, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to throw the can in the bin. Then he just puts the can in there anyway. It's just kind of pointless, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then he says, no, it's your kids, your kids, we've got to go. They all get in. And I love the, uh, you know, um, we don't, you know, he's like, Doc, you know, we don't have enough, you know, road. He goes, roads? Where are we going? We don't need roads. And the, the car lifts up and flies and goes. Now, Paul, oh, shoot, were they planning on a sequel at that point when they did that or not? I think they were. I think, did they not? Oh, I want to... They filmed two and three oh. together, didn't they? I think almost. Yeah, they weren't planning on a sequel, and they didn't um, know about the sequel only until it came out on VHS when they added to be continued. When it came out of the cinema, it didn't oh, have the. Uh, yes. That's so true. That I remember. Yes, yes, yes. So it was a surprise to Michael J. Fox when he saw it that um, it's got to be continued, and obviously then it kicked in when he'd done two and three. So at the time, they they didn't plan anything, but. Um, obviously on the back of the success of it that they allowed them to do it but no at the time there was uh, no plans for another one oh. yeah because the, the, the other one wasn't released till uh, two wasn't released till 89 was it it was mm. yeah three years later four years yeah. later oh, okay. yeah long time um, before obviously we get to the best bit worst bit I was looking um, have any of you it's not a bit, it's not a good film and it does relate have any of you seen A Million Ways to Die in the West um, no, is that the one? but it's on my list. Yeah, no. I have seen that. Yeah. Okay, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. Pardon? Is that the one the guy who did Family yeah, Guy? Yeah, I, I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to yeah, ruin it for you, Paul. But Stu. Yeah. Would you say, best one of the best cameo? It's an average film. One of the best cameos ever, without telling without telling him what it is. Do you know, I can't remember what it is. You can't. Actually, I see my headphones. Should I take my headphones out? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't know why, I'm going to listen to this next week. Take, take, take headphones, no, um, no, no, it's true, you know, um, it's got it's got the cameo. He's walking in the Wild West and he hears this weird noise come out. And it, and, and, huh? and he looks into the, he looks into the, he looks into the barn and yeah. don't, don't you remember who it is working on a DeLorean? You're joking, seriously. I'm going to have to watch it now. <laughs> it's one of the best cameos ever, mate. Um, uh, uh, I've seen it for a long time. I didn't realise I that. will. I'll, uh, I'll send you the link in YouTube. I think it's linked to YouTube. Uh, Paul, Paul, you can come back. Paul. I'm back. Oh, back. Okay. He's back in the room. So, um, best bit, worst bit. I mean, to me, I think you'd be really... I don't really have a worst bit for this. Uh, you could be nitpicking and say some of the some of the effects with the weird hand and stuff. For me, that's after the charm. That's kind of being nitpicking because... Mm. Yes, it's not a great effect, but it doesn't really take anything away from the film. I mean, I'm, I'm giving it a, a five out of five. It's one of my, it's probably one of my top ten films, easily. It's, yeah. it's in there. Um, I could, you know, it's one of those films. I mean, we watched it today. I think about um, just after dinner with uh, myself, my daughter, and my, my daughter, my other half. My three year old wasn't wasn't that wasn't that into it, but he thought the car was cool. Um, and we all really, and it's one of. The, I think it's one of those kind of like an ET. 
Uh, maybe like can't make maybe like a princess, princess, the princess prom. It's one of those really, really good family films that you can always put on. You can always put on, and it is a cliche. It sounds like a cliche, but the whole family can like really, really enjoy it. And it's one of these films that we I always come to one at least once a year, and we all sit down and watch it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's a really, really good film. I exactly the same. Five out of five. I think it's a fantastic film, and you can overlook the special effects. I mean, bearing in mind how old the film is, and as you say, it gives it character. It's full of nostalgia. It's a really, really good film. Uh, yeah, Paul. And there are no shipping. Yeah. yeah. I can't really nitpick. He wouldn't no. have just uh, use the arm or the fire between their legs. It would just. It wouldn't be yeah. fair. I think um, that the, it's just such a good film. The fire between the legs. I think that's such a because I, I I can't remember if I had the, if I had the. Did you have this? Did you have the Panini sticker album? Yes, I did. Yeah, I can't remember if I had it or not. I know my my mate did. Uh, I used to have all the all the sticker albums back in the day, ET and that, and I, I may well have had. But I remember that was the front cover, I think, or at least I remember seeing the stickers and seeing the 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 the, the, the billboard shots of the fire. So for me, I didn't care about the special effects, you know, whether it worked or not. It just looked good, you know, um, and it, and it had the desired effect. So for, for me, that I wouldn't even say that was a bad bit. The, the worst bit for me, I think, would be, and again, like you say, James, really nitpicky is just the angle of the hand. It doesn't ruin the film, and you, and, and because it is so nostalgic and it's so, it's it, it's a really good feel good film. And I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan, and and, and you know and everything about the, the, the trilogy. Um, I can forgive that. The best bit for me in that film. And the same for, for, for two would be the skateboard scene because the oh. way it's choreographed and the stunts and there's no CGI, you know, and, and it wasn't, it, this one wasn't even on wires. Two was on wires, but this one was all done, you know, physical stunts, you know, jumping over cars and, and um, yeah, that was, for me, that was the best bit. Oh, well, there, there we go. So uh, what, we'll what would you give out of five and Paul? Oh, five. five all round. Always five. Absolutely. Five. Oh, brilliant. Well, there we go, guys. I guess by the time you look at this, I guess by the time we all listen to this, Ghostbusters 2 is one going to be out. We will be doing Back to the Future 2 and 3. Um, not looking forward to 3, I'm just saying, guys. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, yeah. Um, well, there we go. I'll get into that. But yeah, um, number two, I really like number two. So it'd be interesting to see. Mm. Watching it again, straight after I've watched this one, with, with a slightly different eye. Um, how's it going to go? So, but, but yeah, Paul, thank you so much, Carl. You're welcome anytime. Um, no, thank you. Oh, no, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and uh, I guess to take it away because, yeah, well, you're, you're, be- you're better at closing it than I am beginning it. <laughs> no, it'd just be interesting to see what we make of I put the uh, poll out on Twitter uh, about what's the worst film, and I think that confused you a bit, Jay, didn't it? Cause, it doesn't uh, take much to confuse I me. Mean, yeah. Wrong impression. And number three, um, was I think it came in about eighty eight percent or eighty three percent. People voted that to be the worst film, uh, number two, and uh, unbelievably, a couple of people voted number one. But it'll be interesting to see how the scores change um, between the three of us for one, two, and three. Because I've got a feeling already we're going to have different views on number two, um, and uh, we definitely will on number three as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how our views go and how the scores change. I personally, I think it will dip and then go up for me, but um, I don't, I've got a feeling it won't for you guys. Mm. Yes, it's a yeah. decline, Stu, that's what I'm saying. 
<laughs> for another day absolutely exactly. we will have the Ghostbusters podcast come out um, the Ghostbusters 2 sorry Ghostbusters is already out Ghostbusters 2 was, was a really good fun it was a great podcast to record um, and I hope you do enjoy that but we've got all we've got about 108 podcasts I think now on um, iTunes and Android app. so uh, there's loads and loads to choose from obviously Blaro when that was good <laughs> when that was good, yeah, that nicely puts you. Yeah, that's so true. But um, yeah, so we hope you enjoy this podcast. And uh, if you've not seen the film, you've been on another planet. Watch the film. Watch number two. Watch number three. Because we'll be reviewing those next. But um, yeah, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. So, uh, he's so thin.